Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high-rise or low-rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Hey listeners, we wanted to take a minute to tell you about our sponsor for this season, Dia & Co. Dia believes that great style is part of a life well-lived. Their styling service and shop exclusively serves women sizes 14 to 32 with clothing that offers exceptional quality and fit. If you are listening to this podcast, that probably means you are on the journey of learning to embrace your jeans with a G, finding the right jeans with a J, or other amazing wardrobe staples, and this can be the perfect next step. Dia was founded by a plus-sized woman who saw the need for fashion-forward options that actually have your body in mind. To help you feel fabulous in your mom bod, they're offering our listeners an exclusive discount savings. To get your 30% off discount, head to www.dia.com and use our code MOMJEANS. You can try the clothes on in the comfort of your own home, keep what you like, and always get free shipping and returns. Dia is excited to work with us this season and helping you love the jeans you are in. So check out our social media at Mom Jeans the Podcast for more information and links to their company pages or head to the website for our listeners, www.dia.com and use code MOMJEANS to receive 30% off of your Dia order. Okay, now to our episode. We are in a series called Your Story, where our guests will be sharing the story of healing their relationship with their body. Each person's story is unique to them, and we are humbled by their vulnerability and willingness to join us in this space. As a result, we will not be editing out as many numbers, specific behaviors, or details as we normally would. If anyone's story has details that trigger you due to your healing journey, please press pause and take care of yourself. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Today we are being joined by two amazing people, Dr. Leslie Williams and her nine-year-old daughter, Layla. We are discussing the book that was written by Dr. Williams after her daughter, Layla's experience with body shaming at school. So often the conversation about body image is centered around adolescents and young adults, but today's conversation really highlights the early onset of body image distress. According to Nita, 40 to 60% of elementary school girls ages 6 to 12 are concerned about their weight or about becoming too fat. In elementary school, fewer than 25% of girls diet regularly. These statistics are mind-blowing. Oh my gosh. Yet these girls don't even know what dieting involves, but can talk about calorie restriction and food choices for weight loss fairly effectively. Yeah, and as you know, this season's theme is your story, and we are excited about the angle of this episode because we are hearing two stories in this interview. 
We get to hear Layla's body story that she has already begun to write in her short life, as well as hear the story from a mama's perspective about what it is like to watch her daughter's story unfold and how it has impacted her own personal body story. It really brings to light the importance of having a home environment that is inclusive, that discusses bullying, confidence, race, and cultural narratives in age-appropriate ways. And yet, we touched on how there is still a bigger, badder world out there that will impact our children regardless of the environment we create at home. A big piece of the story for us as parents is learning how to love on our littlest ones and guide them to the best of our ability, but knowing that we cannot protect them from everything, just prepare them. This is so important for us as parents to keep in mind because these conversations about body image, cultural constructs, and as you will hear Dr. Williams discuss, racism, can and need to start occurring younger than we may realize. This is why we at Mom Jeans are so passionate about the books for children and teens that discuss body image, that promote diversity and acceptance, because we know that pediatric body image is a great concern and that young, malleable minds can be taught kindness, empathy, and tolerance. It is social constructs and oppressive systems that truly impact children, not the age-old concepts of kids will be kids. As Dr. Williams' book is called Free to Be Me, we can only hope that this next generation is even more free to be themselves than previous generations, and that society continues to heal in so many ways. Yeah, and if you want a full list of the books we recommend for children, like Tina just mentioned, we actually have a highlight on our Instagram page that has a ton of suggestions, one of which is Dr. Williams and Layla's book, Free to Be Me. You could also find her book on her website, https backslashes leslie, and that is L-E-S-L-E-Y, williamsmd.com. And drum roll, our exciting announcement is that we are giving away a free copy of her book. Yay. If you head on over to our Instagram at Mom Jeans the Podcast, we will give you all the details. But like most of our giveaways, the giveaway launches the day after the podcast episode drops. So you got to be listening on time. And it's only going to be open for six days. So head on over to our Instagram right now to find out the details about the giveaway. Okay, before we get started, here is a little tidbit about Dr. Leslie Williams. Dr. Leslie Williams is a board-certified family medicine physician and eating disorder specialist. She received her Doctor of Medicine degree from the University of Kentucky College of Medicine and completed her family medicine residency training at Mayo Clinic, Arizona. Dr. Williams has been providing medical care for patients with eating disorders and other mental health issues for over 16 years. In addition to her clinical work, Dr. Williams is a passionate advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare. Dr. Williams recently authored a children's book that celebrates body diversity, Free to Be Me, Self-Love for All Sizes. Her areas of special interest include health equity and health at every size advocacy. All right, let's get to it. Welcome to our podcast. Today we have Dr. Leslie Williams and her daughter, Layla, joining us to talk about their awesome book that they wrote together. Layla, how old are you now? I'm nine, almost ten. Nine, awesome. And I have right here, whoops, that this book 
Can you tell me about your book? It's called Free to Be Me. Can you tell the people who are going to listen to this all about your book? Um, well, first we made a booth we made for the children. Fair. Fair. What was the name of the booth? Beautiful. Everybody is beautiful. Everybody is beautiful. And what was the purpose of the booth? What did we sell there? Um, we sold pins and bracelets and shirts. We wore shirts and, and we got one an award at the end of the event. Oh, what was the award? Best. I think it was best. One of the best business ideas, I think, yeah. for the for the children. And, and a few of the kids got at the news interviewed us for our um, booth. Wow. You were on TV? Yes. I have never been on TV. That is so cool. What did What did they ask you about? They asked me what, um, like, what was the purpose of the booth and like, stuff like that. What did you tell them? Um, I told them that we want everybody to good about themselves and to be happy so we made little pins and stuff. That is such a great message. I bet that's a message you don't hear in school very often. So it's probably really nice for some of your friends to hear that message. Yes. Wow. So what's it like to be nine, almost ten and have written a book already? Um really like like that we're making people uh-huh. you are making a lot of people happy, which is so awesome. You are. My six-year-old girl reads it before bed sometimes, and she loves looking at the pictures and seeing the little girl play on the playground and jump around because that's what she loves to do. She loves to play and move her body and jump all over the place. So I think what you wrote was really, really important for all little girls to hear. I have a two-year-old little boy, and he likes your book too. So it isn't just for little girls. It's for all kids and even adults. It's a great message. So yeah, my little boy reads it too. That's awesome. Layla, if there are any kids listening to you talk about your story or the book, what is one thing you want them to know? I want them to know that that you can be um, happy and make people happy too. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining. You're welcome. I love it. Well, thank you for letting her do that. I appreciate that. That was. We've never had a kid on our podcast. We did it. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll, we're going to jump into you now. Thanks for sharing uh, your daughter with us for a hot minute. Um, So. From your point of view, tell us your inspiration for writing the book. Absolutely. I think that um, my daughter, Layla, was having some issues with feeling uncomfortable with her size. And I was really big into books that really reflected all types of diversity. And so we, you know, we had books of all different types of kids. Um, and I found it much easier to find books with kids of different colors. Um, but it was a struggle to find books 
of kids of different sizes. And so when I started looking, there was just not a lot out there. There was like Amanda's Big Dream and um, there was something like Little Big Fish and maybe like one other book that really talked about size diversity. Um, and even of those books, I still didn't see any girls that directly reflected her that were little black girls of larger size. And, um, and so it just inspired me like, hey, you know, if there is a lack in this area, I suspect that there's other moms that might be looking for the same thing. Since uh, Representation is something that um, I think that we, you know, all want for our kids. And so it just um, inspired me to just, you know, write a book and um, kind of utilize some of um, her experience and, and some of the things that I've been using with her to kind of work on um, size acceptance and, and diversity. And so that was kind of the inspiration. I was wondering if you give our listeners a little bit of a background on just who you are, because I know you're also in the medical field and you work with eating disorders. So could you give listeners a little bit of background on, on you and your career? Sure. Um, so my training is in family medicine. And um, I went into that field because I had a real interest of um, in just trying to do women's health from a more holistic perspective. Um, I think that initially, one of the things that I recognized was just this kind of connection between like food, mood, body image, um, and was just looking at ways to kind of um, look at that from through like a medical lens. And when I was in my training at the Mayo Clinic, there was a grand rounds that we had for the department um, and it, the then medical director of an inpatient eating disorder treatment center came and spoke. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, I love, you know, I didn't even know that eating disorder treatment centers existed. I didn't know that much in general, but I was just like, I would love a place like this, but more so for people who struggle um, with overeating is what I thought, you know, kind of would be more of an area of interest for me. And he um, convinced me to go work there. And I worked inpatient for um, a decade, really, and just worked with patients of all, um, you know, across the spectrum. And I remember at that time him saying, hey, I don't know a place that specifically looks at, for instance, like binge eating, but you'll see that a lot of the underlying issues are the same, regardless of what the eating disorder label is. And so I think you would really enjoy this experience. And I did. I loved it. I learned so much. And so that's kind of, you know, how I made that leap into, you know, eating store. So I went and worked there directly out of residency. Um, and so that's how I, you know, started in the field. So I'm curious how you then took your experience as far as your career and working in the eating disorder field and then bridged it to actually having a child in your home who needed to now talk about body image and coach shit. Cause it's, it's one thing when you're the professional, it's another thing when you're the mama. So I'm, I'm curious what that was like for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because I definitely went into parenting with quite a bit of naivete. Cause I thought, Hey, I am an expert in this field. Part of my interest in the field in the first place was just my own experience growing up. And I remember there just being such a hyper focus about food and body size. And I really went into it with a desire to kind of like find balance. You know, I like, I didn't want 
I wanted to raise, you know, happy, healthy kids, but I also wanted to have balance around like food and body image. And I think that's what initially attracted me to the field. So by the time I had kids, I'd been working in the field for a while and I really thought I was an expert. I was like, I've got this down. I'm going to introduce my kids to all kinds of foods. We're going to move our bodies in a very, you know, happy and active way. And it's just going to be this utopia. And then I had and they were all completely different and their um their whole relationship with food was totally different and it was very independent of me like I think that's where the naivete came in I really thought that I had more influence over their eating habits and things than I did you know I really um and so I laugh because I even talk about like Layla, I can remember taking her to see like the breast and here I am a physician, you know, I think I know about breastfeeding and I'm taking her in to see the breastfeeding consultant because I'm like, she eats so fast and all these books say, you know, 30 minutes of nursing or whatever. And she heard for like two minutes. And so I was like, something must be wrong. I must be doing something wrong. And I remember they took all her clothes off. They weighed her. They had me nurse her. Then they weighed afterwards and she had gotten all that she needed in that short little window of time and I was like wow you know so I was like okay the books are wrong clearly she's on her own time schedule and honestly it's been that way ever since birth she just has you know an independent relationship with food she enjoys food she enjoys eating she likes to you know eat a variety of different things that her brothers won't eat um and so it's just kind of funny because I can remember that as you know, even from a young child. And then I have my oldest, Cameron, who is very, very picky about food. And so I have to like, you know, navigate in that way. And then I have another one, my youngest, who's like in the middle, you know, he eats when he when he's hungry, he stops when he's full, he likes a variety of foods, like, it's just insane. And so it definitely was difficult to accept the fact that there is the nature as well as the nurture piece. Totally. I want listeners to hear exactly what's being said right now. This is a professional in the field that has been working in the field for so long and is experiencing real life struggles with her children. We cannot control our kids. We can create that safe environment. We can bring in our normal But the kids are going to be the kids, right? They are going to have their own personalities. They have taste preference. They have choices. They have their own body experiences. And so we can create that safe environment, but we can't keep them in that bubble. So it also kind of helps to absolve a little bit of that mommy guilt too, right? Because I think when you have kids, regardless of where they fall outside of what people the norm in terms of eating, whether they eat too much or they eat too little or whatever, it's still, as the mother, you're still seen as being responsible for their eating habits most of the time. And so, you know, people always want to give you advice on, you know, how to get them to eat more or less or different foods or whatever. And, and just being able to see how much of that is innate, I think, you know, also helped me to kind of absolve some of that guilt. Cause I know, you know, reading when you're um, pregnant, you read all these books about how, you know, your kids' food preferences are completely reflective of what you do and what you don't do. And you know what I mean? It's like, it's like we take on so much of that responsibility and to know, Hey, I pretty much created the same environment. And, you know, I still, my kids, you know, their eating habits are very different. 
I think, too, what's interesting is that our entire season is your story, and we're interviewing a lot of parents about their story. But I think the angle that you're bringing that I really appreciate is our kids also have their own story. And each child, we're now watching develop their story and work through it and all the little milestones and the nuances and the life experiences that happen. And so it's one thing to kind of work through and heal our story and continue to be proactive about that. But it's another thing to also then watch our children start to develop their story. It's, it's just a really unique angle that I'm appreciating that you're sharing here. And I think one of the things that's also unique is having, you know, three different children and just navigating, um, like taking them to the pediatrician's office, for instance. I have to, you know, in our pediatrician's office, the scale is right out in the hallway. The kids are weighed. They usually tell them what their weight is. And different children who have a different experience with that number and so I have to go to the pediatrician's office I always I you know the kids know they have to get on the scale backwards I have to speak to the whoever's weighing them and say please don't state the weight out loud you know the pediatrician has been trained to all I want to I just want you to show me the trend and we can talk about the trends and so it's but it's like it's a lot of advocacy and then the why? Why do we have to do this? And why, you know, why are we doing it different than the other kids? And I'm like, um, just because we've had experiences at my other, my other office I used to have, I had a scale and there was a post-it over it. So you couldn't see the number. And once the kids were playing doctor and I was in another room and they came and they asked me about it. And I said, that's why it's there. Just leave it there. And then not that much longer, you know what happened. They took the, you know, they took it off. They each weighed each other and they were like looking sad. And I said, what's going on? And my oldest said, well, I weighed myself and I weigh less than, you know, their younger sibling and that makes me feel bad. And then the younger sibling said, I looked at my number and I weigh more than my older sibling and that makes me feel sad. And I was like, see, this is exactly why I didn't want you guys to see the number because you came into this office happy. You guys were having fun. You were playing. Everyone was in a good mood. And now just because of a number on the scale, it has changed your entire mood. And so, and it doesn't matter. You know, that number is just doesn't matter. And so I always point them back to remember that experience. And that's why when we go to the doctor's office, the dentist's office, wherever, that's why we do this because I don't, well, and now that they're older, it becomes even a reason to make jabs, even if they don't even know what the, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, how kids are. They always want something to like fight about. But um, so, so yeah, that's been, been interesting. Sure. What, what messages would you share with parents who are kind of navigating this journey for themselves or are navigating it with their kids and or they're navigating it for themselves and navigating it for their children. It's, it's a, it's a, um, a complicated journey, I would say. Um, I think that the figuring out for yourself is probably the most paramount piece because I think until you've really made peace for yourself, it's difficult to impart that balance onto your child, right? It's always going to come out in a subconscious way. So I think that really kind of doing that, that work for yourself um, is helpful. And even when you think the work is done, um, children have a way of, of kind of finding your points of vulnerability. You know what I mean? Like when you go kumbaya about something and they have a way of doing that. So I think that doing that 
that own like body image work for yourself and making peace with food and balance. And then when it comes to kids, I think my biggest mistake early on was trying to cater to their taste buds. And so we started early on with this culture of this one eats this and this one eats that and this one eats another thing. And that was crazy making. And it then created a very negative experience for me when it came to trying to feed my children. And then um, that I, that's something, I think that's one of my biggest missteps and something that we're trying to kind of reprogram at this life stage. But that was probably one of my biggest missteps is kind of like the path of least resistance. Like whoever, we know um, who will eat what and we'll try to like feed them that thing. And then it creates a monster in and of itself. Um, Trust me, I did the same thing. My kids are similar ages to yours, and we are just literally getting out of that probably in the past year because of this own podcast. Like the people that I've interviewed, I'm like, oh, that's right. Because it's one thing to hold it in your head and read it in the book. It's another thing to be in the kitchen and having the crying toddler and the tempering other one and just chucking whatever makes them happy. So it is. It's one thing to have the knowledge. It's another thing to practice the knowledge. So I, I, I'm right there with you. Yes. I'm like, as the dietitian in the group, I'm like, uh-uh, no. Ellen Satter, Division of Responsibilities, you are not a short order cook. So, yeah, Don't we're, we're resist, in that process resist. of reprogramming. And, you know, the, you're not going to starve. You're going to find something within the context of what we prepared that you can eat or, you know, you'll have to wait until the next meal and your next opportunity. So, um, so yeah, so that's been, I guess, one of my biggest missteps and something that um but it's hard when you have three small children and you're exhausted and you know you have to give yourself grace that sometimes the path of least resistance is is the path well okay so i guess my question is again back to kind of this theme of your story like how has watching layla or even your other children navigate their story and develop their story impacted your own story with with your body or made you more passionate about the field of body image or body positivity? Um, I think that it's definitely kind of reignited my passion for um, particularly the, the pediatric age group. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like in my work, I was more so with like adolescents and adults. And I think that because I feel like as I've seen Layla evolve, it has just been amazing. Like she went from when she was initially having issues at school with being teased about her size, it was heartbreaking for me to hear her say, you know, some of the things, the ways that she felt about herself, how she was, you know, not wanting to go to school, how it made her feel sad, how during recess she would want to hide or go somewhere where people weren't looking at her because it was so interesting once she realized that people viewed her negatively or looked at her size negatively then all of a sudden it's like it almost cultivated this anxiety in her like she was constantly thinking like are people looking at me so things that she used to enjoy like she didn't even mention today she used to love the monkey bars like that was her thing she loved it. but once she had this feeling that people were looking at her. She was fearful of going onto the monkey bars or doing some of these other things on the playground that um, she felt like would bring attention to herself. And so that was like really hard for me to recognize, you know, in such a young child, how this was impacting her. And then um, it made me 
a bigger advocate for finding her an environment that was more welcoming because I realized in our last school environment, it probably wasn't going to change just because of the school culture. Um, and then recognizing, you know, once I did change her school environment and we really worked on kind of those conversations at home, seeing how it really helped her self-confidence to blossom. And so even within the past year, like how much her confidence has increased, how, ha how much happier she is, like it was impacting her in so many different ways. I still remember going to the parent teacher conference and the teacher telling me she talks in class, but I can never hear her. I'm like, that's the weirdest thing. We don't see that at home. And she's like, yeah, she whispers. And I realize now that that was part of her whole trying to disappear thing. She really felt comfortable when the spotlight was on her. And that wasn't her baseline personality. And so I think being able to watch her story and her evolution lets me know that if we see these issues early enough, that we have such potential to really kind of change the course for kids. And I really feel like, I'm not saying I'm perfect, by no means am I perfect, but I feel confident that by us having these conversations early and really you know, delving into this, that I'm setting her up for better success in the future in terms of her own body image and, and self-confidence. It's so true, I mean, I think we've interviewed other people who've who share that watching language, even if it's positive, just about appearances or even performances really does make kids also go, oh, wait, people are looking at me or people are noticing. And, and it just plants that little seed. I mean, just before this interview, I went to the playground about my friend and I hadn't seen her daughter a long time. And she has grown so tall. I almost even recognized her. I, I bit my tongue. I almost said like, you've gotten so tall, but I had to be like, mm, don't, don't comment. You know, it, it's, it's our gut, a gut reaction to, to say something and to comment. And, and it's really, I think, a good reminder for parents to, even at young ages, just to be be mindful of, of what seeds you're planting that make a child realize people are noticing me or people might be sizing me up or judging. Judging me would be, you know, the extreme feeling. But just even, oh, people notice me, that, you know, that, where that can lead. But it can feel judgmental if they're feeling insecure about that growth or size change or whatever, that then someone note brings it up and they're like, ah, see, right? You know, like, I think I've shared this in past episodes, like, as a kid, even as an adult, I didn't even realize that I was short until everyone keeps telling me how short I am, you know, and it's like, well, I don't know, I'm only looking at the world through my own eyes. And until I see myself in a picture next to my like, really tall friend, I don't realize how short I am. Quit telling me, you know. Now, I didn't make it have it be a complex, but it could have been, you know, it could have been something extremely negative until people ask me to play hide and seek. And I'm the one hiding in the corner in the cabinet or a small cubby hole you know let's see with that so Rachel and I you know originally had planned this season a while ago because you know we do recognize that in our field and those that are spreading body positivity are mainly white thin females you know and it just doesn't really sit well with me. And so, you know, we came up with the idea of like, let's open up the platform to even though we are speaking from privilege ourselves, you know, let's try to spread this voice of 
diversity and other lived experiences other than ours. And so how do you bring that into your parenting specifically with Layla or if you want to bring in your other children, but how do you bring that in, you know, talking about body positivity and how diversity and race and culture, it isn't the way that we would all like it to be, even though ideally it should be accepting of all. It should be accepting of all genders, of all races, of all body sizes, you know? So how do you as a parent have that conversation with your children? Mm, That's challenging because especially in today's climate, we have to have a lot of conversations with our children about the fact that the world views you differently just by virtue of the color of your skin. And as a result of that, you have to be prepared to be treated differently. And um, and at the same time, we have to impart upon them that being black is a good thing and it's something to be proud of. And so it's, it's definitely that dichotomy that for young children feels very confusing. Do you know what I mean? So from the one side of like, you know, I can remember when everything was happening, even with the murder of George Floyd and there was something else going on in the news. And I remember sitting my son down and saying, listen, if something happens at school and they have to make a decision between you, what you're saying to them and what one of your white classmates is saying to them, because you are a black boy, they are immediately going to believe that what you are saying is not true. So you need to not put yourself in that position because you have to recognize that Unfortunately, just by the color of your skin and your gender, that in people's minds, you are already, you know, scary or not scary or whatever. And it was such a hard conversation to have. And I was like, this is the most insane thing to have to say to my child. But at the same time, I feel like I have to say it. I have to prepare him. I can't send him into the world and have him believe that, you know, you are really seen as equal and people aren't going to have some kind of um, biases towards you. Um, whether they recognize them or not. And and then, so we have to teach them in a lot of ways to be somewhat um, on the offensive, right? You have to be careful of what situations you put yourself in. Like I can remember we were shopping and there were some kids, it was like on a Friday night and it was like some preteens kind of running and like, you know, running around an outdoor shopping center. And I had to stop them and say, listen, I don't care what your friends are doing. If you guys are out shopping around somewhere, you cannot be running through a shopping center like this because people are going to automatically believe that you stole something. And the police are going to be called. These white boys, nobody's going to think anything of it. The police aren't going to be called. People are think, going to think it's cute. But the minute you do that exact same thing, they are going to believe you have done something wrong. The police will be involved and something might happen to you bad. So I don't care what your friends are doing. You cannot run. You have to have conversations with them on a, you know, on a regular basis, especially because the environment we live in we recently um, moved to is even less diverse than where we lived previously. And so I have to talk to them about these types of things. So it is a struggle, but then at the same time, I have to impart upon them, you know, that this is something to be proud of. And we have to teach them about their history and about all of the adversity that their ancestors have, you know, come over and 
we teach them about privilege. We tell them every day, you are so privileged. You know, even I made them sit down and watch um, Representative John Lewis's funeral. And I said, you know, I need you to put this in a context that, look, when he was a little kid your age, going to school was a big deal. You know, something you had to fight for. And now it's something that we take for granted. And this person just died. So it wasn't that long ago that this was, you know, so just trying to help bring that to context. So yes, it's something that we talk about regularly in our household. And um, it's definitely, you know, something that we have to constantly weave into our parenting and find that balance with. The one thing that struck me is your book's title is Free to Be Me. And yet you're having to have these conversations with your children are, I want to encourage you to be free to be you, but you kind of can't be because of social constructs and racism. Like such a, I just, it struck me the title of your book and then the conversations you're having to have. Absolutely. And what we teach them is that we're working hard now so that hopefully when you're a parent and you're raising your children, this is going to be less of an issue, right? So we kind of tell them it's not something that's going to go away overnight, but each generation things are getting better. So things are better for us than they were for our parents. And we're hoping it's even better for you. And maybe, you know, it won't be that far in the future where this doesn't have to be a talking point anymore. How does it relate to then the body image, you know, so you have Layla, so you're saying, these are the conversations that I'm having with my sons, which is kind of different than I'm going to have with my daughter. And now my daughter also was going through this whole body image experience. Do you find that the two are connected or that you're having to have a similar conversation? Um, I do. I have to have similar conversations with her in terms of um race and then you add the the body image piece which is separate which is interesting because I will say that I felt like she identified more with the body image piece earlier on. She felt like that was the thing that made her different. She definitely felt this like, huh, my peers are feeling or treating me differently or they're kind of ostracizing me in a way, but she always identified that more so with size. And I think as she got a little bit older, she started seeing more of the race piece, but I definitely felt like she um, saw it more through the lens of, of size first. Um, and the boys, I think that um, they, they don't have as much body image issues, right? It's more of like the racial construct of being a black male. Do you know what I mean? But they're not, I think if anything, Cameron's probably a little small for his size. It doesn't, it hasn't yet made him uncomfortable, but he's getting ready to transition into middle school. So we've been doing a lot of preparing him for that. Like you're small, you're going to be really small when you go to middle school. It doesn't feel like it because of, you know, most of our friends are like a little bit younger because I him doing a zoom um as he's preparing like an orientation he's like they're all big kids you called into the wrong number and i'm like no babe like these are going to be your peers and you are really small for your size and you know my husband had to tell him you're probably going to be smaller than all the boys and all the girls when you start school next year and we need to you know mentally prepare him for that because that can be very intimidating if that hasn't been your experience yet and so that I feel like we have to do more of that type of thing with him. But that is, that's that body image piece that's different, right? Where it's like, if we're it's the not toxic talk- masculinity, right. um, 
yeah, if it isn't about weight, it's about size, it's about whatever. And so, and the funny thing in terms of eating too, we use that as a food motivator. Like, I'll be honest, you need to eat protein so that you can grow and like, you know, we definitely do. Yeah, you need food to grow. I think it's great. And I hope parents can hear this that like, you're doing the prep conversation. It's not that you're trying to like backtrack. It's like, ooh, this already happened. And now we're talking about it. It's like, as much as you're trying, you are creating that safe environment that talks about real things that talks about possible scenarios in relation to many things. And so it just sounds like your kids are well prepared. Now granted, Life happens. We can't protect them from absolutely everything. So like you can make them the most well-prepared children and life is still going to happen. You know, kids may be, you know, mean to him because he is small and at least he can feel safe enough to come home and be like, hey, mom, I were right. Let's talk about this. You know, hopefully that would No, that's the part in your book Um, that I love when you say sometimes kids... Sometimes kids make rude comments about my size, skin, or hair that make me feel sad. My my thought was I love that you you call that out. Like sometimes, to Tina's point, we will have all these conversations at home and then these things will still happen at school. And and people will still say things. Or even if it's not happening to you, you'll see it happening with other peers. And what will you do then? And I think just acknowledging and calling out like this is going to happen outside of our home. And what is going to be your role or how is it going to feel? And, and just preparing them for a real life, I think, is kind of an interesting conversation. I liked that piece of it, but share what your thoughts were on that. Well, and I was thinking about what Tina said, too, is like, oh, I don't necessarily have to have the same conversations with my children. But you can from a different perspective of, hey, you're going to see injustice happen in your life. And how can you be an advocate for that? It was really interesting. I had an issue with my son where he kept coming home with holes in his pants, his uniform pants. And I was like, what is going on? And he said, well, Matthew, we play this game. And I don't know, they were being different characters, but the little boy, Matthew, was always making him be the character that had to crawl around on their knees. And so he kept coming in with these holes in his pants. And I said, you know what? That is not okay. Is that the character you want to be? He said, no, I don't always want to be that guy. Then you have to assert yourself and tell Matthew no. And if he doesn't let you be a different role, then you tell him you're not going to play that game anymore. And so, you know, I kind of like gave him a little stern talking to and he's like, okay. So the next day, Um, Matthew was trying to make another little boy in the class, you know, be in that role. And Carter said he went over and he told him, you know, you don't have to play that. You don't have to be that. If if Matthew doesn't want to do that, you cannot play with him. It's okay to say no. And I just love that he was able to empower. And he came home and he was so proud of himself, um, more so that he had an opportunity to empower someone else. And um, so that was really kind of, you know, a fun teaching point. And it was really great too, because the child's mom actually reached out to me and said, Hey, I've heard that he's been a little bossy, you know what I mean? And so it was another great talking point for her too, about friendship and leadership. And I think they had been really coaching him from this leadership perspective. And, you know, he was kind of taking it to maybe a different degree. And so, you know, it was, awesome teaching moment I felt like for everyone involved but even like I said if you are not the person that's seen as you know the one that is in 
um, the position where you're vulnerable, right? There's still opportunity for teaching. Yeah. How cool is that, that your son was able to take what you told him, apply it to himself, but then reflect it out and help somebody else. Like that to me is like awareness, you know, like, and that just shows those great conversations. Like he's taking it and then actually understanding the true value of it and then going, oh, wait, I can actually share this message. And it's the same thing with your daughter where it's like, oh, wait, my mom and I have talked about this and now I want to tell people, right? Like that's so cool when we can truly teach our kids and hopefully our own selves, like let's be nice to ourselves and then at the same time to then spread it, you know? And and that's what Rachel and I are trying to do with this season of like, we really want to be able to take the, all these different messages and recognize the power of words and how we can really spread awareness, spread positivity so that we can all truly be on that equal platform. I- I think that parenting too has given me an opportunity to be more empathic towards my own parents. I think I always felt like really frustrated with, um, I felt like my mom was so hyper-focused on certain things. And now as a parent, I can understand it's like this very helpless feeling and you don't know how to best guide your kids. And sometimes you just use the tools that you have and it isn't until, you know, they're fully developed that you recognize, oh, maybe that worked or that didn't, but it helps you to be a little bit more empathic towards their own um, kind of evolution. Yeah. I mean, this kind of, you know, like I feel like body positivity was not a thing with our parents. It just like we've, I've brought my mom on this podcast and she's shared her story and you know, with just like, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying, I'm learning, but this wasn't acceptable then, you know, it wasn't talked about. And so it's like, yeah, I like that view. Like, let's have some empathy for our parents. It's okay. They said some weird stuff. They're also still saying some weird stuff, but they're learning, right? Like that's, that's the truth. So do you have any resources that have been helpful for you or that you want to share with our listeners? That's a great question. Love. Claire Misko's book, Does This Pregnancy Make Me Look Fat, I think is the title. Um, Because I always have conversations with body image with any like friend or patient as soon as they become pregnant. That is such a period of transition in terms of, you know, your body's from the inside out and people are always so focused on the ooing and the aahing about the baby and buying onesies and no one ever really stops to have a conversation with them about how their body's going to change and how you're going to have mixed emotions about that. And you need to have a safe space to be able to talk about that because most people do not um, offer that when you're in the midst of it. It's People only want to talk about the positives of pregnancy and that's all they want to hear you talk about, but that you need to be able to have a, set, a safe landing space to talk about um, some of the challenges of um, what that's like for you and for your body and how to kind of like maintain um, that positive outlook in terms of body image, despite all those changes. And what other resources do I have? I love Free to Be Me. I think it's a great book for young kids to talk about um, you know, body size diversity. Um, like I said, Amanda's Big Dream. I also got the um, kids book about body image. 
I ordered that recently. There's a whole series of like kids book about racism and about, you know, just different. And they have one specifically for body image. Well, yeah. So where can our listeners find you if they want to know more and check out your book? Yeah, they can find me at Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, WilliamsMD.com. And that's where you can purchase a copy of the book, find out a little bit more about me. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and chatting with us. And, and thank you, Layla. It's been fun. We hope you felt inspired and moved by this week's story. Please reach out to the person interviewed to connect with them in the ways they listed, or you can check out our social media pages at Mom Jeans the Podcast for details on the episode and to find our guest's information. If you love the episode, please leave us a rating and review us on iTunes and recommend this episode to a friend. We are sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast. And join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.